Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. This morning is taken from the first four verses of Jude. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness, denying the only God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. You may be seated as we prepare heart to receive the engrafted word of God, which is able to save ourselves. Would you open God's book, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16? That's not going to be the text for the whole sermon, but it is the launching pad for this topical sermon, and I'm so glad to see you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we're going to begin reading in verse 13 in just a couple of minutes. When our Lord died on the cross, he left us some very precious things, one of which is the command to eat the Lord's Supper, as we have done this morning, and what a precious thing it is that together as brothers and sisters, we again have done something, which, by the way, is going to continue until the Lord returns. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 says. We're going to eat the Lord's Supper. And we keep this fresh in our minds and all the ramifications, the consequences of that death. But there's something else. When Jesus died, like many people do, but in a much grander way, he left his last will and testament. And you have it in your New Testament. That's what the New Testament refers to itself as. It is the testament of Jesus Christ. It is is his last will and testament. The book of 1 Corinthians is is, uh, very important to us. I don't know if we think about it very much. I guess there are other books that this could be said about. But 1 Corinthians has so much information for living out the Christian life. I mean, you, you think about chapter... Chapter 1 is about unity in the truth. Chapter 2 is about, about the, the fact that we really have the inspired Word of God. We've really got it. Chapter 5 is about purity in the church and how the, the church has to be kept pure. And chapter 6 is about how that we have to be morally pure and that, that that's so important even with a bearing on whether or not we go to heaven. We've got to live pure lives. Chapter 7 is about 
marriage and about some specifics having to do with, with the marriage relationship. Chapter 8 is about scruples and, and our, our carrying out our personal scruples and how we bind those on other people. And that's very important. You get to chapter 13, you read about love in the church and how critical that is. Chapter 16 has to do with, well, 15 has to do with the resurrection and and what's going to happen when you and I die and what happens to our bodies and some information that you cannot get anywhere else. Chapter 16, about some about worship and contribution and giving. And I, I read through that list just to say this. You can look at the bookends of 1 Corinthians, and it will launch this lesson. In chapter 1 and verse 10, I beseech you that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, that's the beginning of this letter. When you get to the end, chapter 16, beginning in verse 13, he says, watch you, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be, be strong, let everything you do be in love. I just want you to get that. I want you to speak the same things. This is, about, this is about the doctrine or the faith. This is about the New Testament truth. I want you to speak the same thing, and I want you to stand fast in the faith. This verse in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13, this is, this is the launching pad. This is where our discussion is going to be today. I want to talk about a fundamental principle Getting Christianity right, being pleasing to our Lord, is going to require this essential concept. I've got to grasp this. How do I approach, approach Christianity? With what understanding of the Scriptures do I approach Christianity? Well, this is something that is so very, very important. Everybody in this room needs to leave today with a good grasp of the term, the faith. The faith. Now, appreciate that the New Testament uses the word faith in two different ways. And one, you might describe as being subjective. That is to say, my own personal confidence in God. Hebrews 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's my own personal confidence, faith in God. But it's used a second way too. Now, that first one, I think, is very commonly accepted in Christendom, very, very broad. People accept that. People believe that. This second one is the one that's very difficult for people to grasp or to accept, but it's very true. And it's faith that's objective. It is a body of truth to which we're obligated. The faith is the practice of true religion. In our text today, he says, I want you to Stand fast in the faith. The word fast there is kind of interesting. I don't know how much we use that term, but it's, it, I, I'm sure it's self-evident, the, the, the definition of it. To stand fast in the faith means to be resolute. It means to be unbending. It means to be uncompromising. You stand fast. He's gone through all these different doctrines in this letter of 1 Corinthians, and he says, I want you to speak the same thing. And then at the other end, the, the, the last of it, he says, I want you to stand fast in the faith. The faith. All right, I want to make observations today, half a dozen of them, about what the Bible has to say about the faith. The church of Christ is not a denomination. And what I'm going to be describing is absolutely contrary 
to the concept of denominationalism or ecumenicalism or pluralism. And what these have in common is an approach to religion in Christendom that says, you know what, everybody's getting it right. I mean, I know that we're all different. We have very diverse views and practices and et cetera, et cetera. All these literally thousands now of churches in Christendom. But everybody is just united in one body, and that's the way that it's designed. Let me tell you something. That's not the way it's designed in Scripture. That's a figment of man's thought. That's the way man has decided. They, man has seen fit to establish all these different religious organizations, and, and it's because, because people don't believe in one faith. The faith is important. The, the article the is emphatic in the Greek. The faith, the faith, that's not a faith, that's not my faith or your faith, it's the faith. And it's the, the body of truth to which we're responsible. And here's the first point, first observation. The faith, the faith, is a knowable body of truth. Now, walk through some scriptures with me. First Timothy 1 and verse 2. Paul said to Timothy, my true son in the faith. What does that mean? It means that, that Paul taught Timothy this body of truth that is referred to as the faith, the practice of true religion. Colossians 1.23, if indeed you continue in the faith, you continue in that, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Any confusion about that? I want you to look at that passage and appreciate the fact that the faith is a body of truth that is knowable. How about 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10? The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after, here's the term now, they've erred from the faith. Pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I fought a good fight. This is familiar to you. I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I have kept the faith. What does that mean? But furthermore, I ask you this question. How could you keep it if you couldn't understand it? How could you keep the faith if the faith wasn't a knowable, understandable body of truth? And the answer is, that's exactly what it is. And, and you get to our passage for today, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. I want you to stand fast in this. There is a body of truth that was left to us by Jesus Christ, and it's referred to in different terms in the Scriptures. I mean, you, you refer to it as the New Testament, or the doctrine of Christ, or the faith. It's all the same thing. The gospel. It's a body of knowable truth. Now, here's one more. 2 Corinthians 13 and 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Now, just let that soak in. I'm telling you, that, that's not a creation of man. Now, that's not, that's not of man's doing. What you've got there is the way that Jesus left it for us. A man can be in the faith, or he can be outside the faith. How do you know? How do you know if you're standing and existing and living in the faith? And the answer is you know because you have the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. That's how you know. You know because the faith is a body of truth which is knowable. All right, here's number two. There is only one of them. The faith is singular. The faith has exclusivity attached to it. Now, what may be coming to your mind immediately about this and should be is, is Ephesians chapter 4. Even our children are familiar with Ephesians 4 and the seven ones listed there. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, 
Listen to this now. Listen closely. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There are as many faiths as there are gods. There are as many faiths as there are baptisms or hopes or lords or spirits. How many? He says there's only one. There's one faith. Now bear in mind again, this is not, this doesn't make any sense if you're talking about my personal confidence in God. This, this has to do with the practice of true religion. And he says there's only one. There's only one faith. It's made up of facts and commands and promises and, and warnings. But it's all combined into what's called the faith. Now, Paul, Paul wasn't being discourteous when he said this. He wrote this. Paul had faith even when he was persecuting Christians, but it wasn't the faith. Look at Galatians 1.23. I think this one is fascinating. He's reflecting back on how it was before he was a Christian and how he persecuted the church. But they were hearing only, he formally persecuted us. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. You see how that's a body of truth? And you see how that it's singular in number. It's not a faith, my faith, your faith. This is the faith. And now he's preaching that, Paul says. He used to persecute us. He used to try to destroy this faith. And now he preaches the faith. He preaches the faith. There's, a, there's an interesting passage in 2 John 9, with which you're familiar, I think. And, and it uses a bit of different terminology to describe the body of truth called the faith. And it's this, the doctrine of Christ. You know the, the word doctrine means, Christ, uh, means a teaching. The doctrine or teaching of Christ. Running this down is very interesting because 2 John 9 says, whoever transgresses and, and doesn't abide in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Well, you've got to look back at the cross and say, what did he leave us? He left us the Lord's Supper. Yeah, but that's not all. What he left us was his last will and testament. And then he's very serious about that. And it's referred to as the faith. It's referred to as the New Testament. It's referred to as the gospel or the doctrine of Christ. All the same thing. He left us with his teaching. Now, the retort to that is... Because this gets people that are, that are denominational, ecumenical, that gets them really nervous because it suggests that there's a body of truth to which we're all responsible. How can that be since there's so many different beliefs in Christendom and we're all so wildly different and so broad? How can it be then that he could say there's a doctrine of Christ and you're obligated to it? And the, so the, the argument goes like this. The doctrine of Christ is not the doctrine which Jesus taught. It's the doctrine about Christ. That's all. See, simple. Got it. Fixed it. <laughs> Fixed it. It's the doctrine about Christ. That is to say that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I guess, if you believe that Jesus existed, if, if you believe he's the Lord, then nothing else matters. Mentally acknowledge that Jesus is, and, and it's the doctrine about him. And, and then all the rest just dissolves away. It sort of evaporates. The next few minutes, let's walk through just a series of passages. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I just want to make a point that I think it's very important for all to get. When the scripture uses the terminology about the doctrine of Christ, it is not talking about the doctrine about Christ. It's talking about the doctrine which he taught. Now, walk through the passages with me. It came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Now, that's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. 
Is that about Jesus or is it the doctrine, the teaching which he taught? Matthew twenty two thirty three. and when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. What is it? Is that the doctrine that Jesus taught or the doctrine about him? Mark 1, 22, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. Ladies and gentlemen, that's about what Jesus had taught them. That's about what he was teaching. Mark 12, 38, and he said to them in his doctrine, Beware of the scribes which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplace. Now, what is that? That's what he taught. Luke 4, 32, they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. It's about his word. It's about what he was teaching. Acts 2, 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. What were they continuing in? They were continuing in what the apostles were teaching them from the teachings of Jesus. And here's Hebrews chapter 6. If any passage nails this down, it's Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the principles, the first principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands and a resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. In other words, He's talking about the doctrine of Christ, and he uses all of these illustrations about what that has to do with. And the Bible says in 2 John 9, whoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. The point that I'm making is that the, the doctrine of Christ is singular. The point that I'm making here is that the faith refers to a, a limited, a singular body of truth to which you're responsible. Here's number three. It's finished. The faith is forever finished. This is huge. You know about any, I mean, what kind of religions come to your mind when I make reference to the fact that it's finished? What comes to your mind? And perhaps, and hopefully, what you think about is religious organizations that can only exist because they hold to continuing revelations that the, body, uh, the Bible isn't sufficient, that beyond that they claim to have extra revelations. Now when I say that, what, religion, what kinds of religions come to your mind? It's not just one, there are various ones. I'll talk about that some more in just a minute. But, but Jude, verse, uh, Jude verse 3 says to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once, and the Greek says, for all, once and for all delivered unto the saints. It was finished. It was finished. That's huge. Because if it wasn't finished, where would the rest come from? And how would we know what, would the, what the rest would be? The answer is, of course, that doesn't make any sense at all. The fact is, it was finished. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith. That's what the Greek uses the word or the article the for the faith. It's the same thing we're talking about today. And who's the finisher of it? And the answer is Jesus Christ is. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, according as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Or Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Look at this verse. I marvel that you're so soon removed or you're turning away so soon from him who calls you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Which is not another, but there's some who trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. 
Let him be a curse. That's pretty strong language, buddy. That is pretty strong language. But it's not stronger than 2 John 9, whoever transgresses and abides not the doctrine of Christ hath not God. I'm telling you, this is serious. It's serious that we grasp this and we believe it. We hold to it and we defend it. You've got to believe this. It's what the Bible says. The faith is singular in number. The faith is finished. And so you think about how this works in religion. How this is transgressed sometimes in religion. And sometimes in egregious ways and sometimes in smaller ways. For example, Joseph Smith founded the Mormon church. And Joseph, Joseph asserted that, that, that the angel came and get, gave him some, uh, let him look at some gold plates and he read those and was able to translate the Book of Mormon, which is referred to or called commonly by them as the New New Testament. Why would a person do that? Well, you say, well, it's because they didn't believe the Bible was complete, that the, that the faith was finished. They didn't believe it was finished. And so, yeah, but, yeah, but you can go farther. What, what it is is that you can't be a Mormon if you believe the Bible is complete. You cannot be a Mormon. Because it won't stand without new revelations. It won't do it. It, it, it rests. And in fact, when you study with people in that particular faith, what happens is that you learn that, that what they know is very little about the Bible, typically what they know is the Book of Mormon. That's what they know. Well, you have Ellen G. White. Ellen G. White was one of the main founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the way her story went was that she asserted that she went up into heaven, she saw the Ark of the Covenant, opened the Ten Commandments were there, but what was unique is that the fourth one had a halo connected to it. I don't know if it was over it or around it, but there was a halo attached to the fourth commandment, which is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy? So she naturally extrapolated from that. I say naturally because I'm teasing, but she extrapolated from that that what that meant was that the, all the, the law of Moses was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14, Except this one, because this one had the halo on it. So all of it's still applicable. I'm sorry, all of, all of the old law was taken away. What was still applicable was the one about the Sabbath and the Seventh-day Adventists. Now you have it, see. And why would you do that? And the answer is you would do that because you weren't satisfied with what the Bible actually said. You weren't satisfied with it being complete. And the only way you can be a member of the Seventh-day Adventist church is by believing the Bible is not complete, that the faith wasn't, wasn't finished like Jude said in verse 3, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered unto the saints. Catholicism, it's almost, it's almost laughable to think about a person saying, I believe the Bible is the finished faith. It is the faith. And I'll be a Catholic because that's an impossibility. You cannot, you cannot believe that the Bible is finished and still practice Catholicism because Catholicism and all of its intricacies is outside of that. Let me give you one more that may be more subtle. I think it is more subtle. And you can think of some more religions that are practicing based on things that people need something that's not in the Bible. So they create these visions and all of that. But what about this one? And sometimes it's not wrong to say this. I felt led to do this. I felt led to do this or that. Now, if what you mean by that is that I've studied the scriptures and based on that teaching, I'm, I'm motivated to do this or that. Now, I, I think it's exactly right to say that you were led by God 
to do this or that. And everybody in this room is led by God in that way. But if what you mean by that is something, something beyond the scripture, something outside of the scripture, then what's happened is you've called into question whether or not the faith is finished. Is it? And are you ready to live with the consequence of disagreeing with scripture on this point? And the answer is none of us, of course, are. Now, here's number four. It's fortified with authority from above. I think, I think it's surely common that, that people will look at the church of Christ and, and would, would uh, struggle with why we care about some details. I mean, why do we do what we do about music in the church? And why do y'all fret about that? Or, or, or the Lord's Supper. I mean, you, you, you eat the Lord's Supper. But you, 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 don't, you don't eat the Lord's Supper on, on Friday if you've got a wedding going on. You don't, and you eat the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. And what's up with that? Or, or you, are you serious when you say you don't have women leaders in the church? Are you really serious about that? How can you do that? Don't you know that women are as smart as men? And da, 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 da. it goes on and on and on. When you understand, the answer to that is, that when you understand that the scripture, that what Jesus left us is the faith, an understandable body of truth to which we're responsible, or for which we're responsible, that is the doctrine of Christ. When you grasp that and accept that truth, then what happens is you get careful about what you do in worship. You're careful about what you do about your morality. You're careful about what the scripture has to say about everything. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, the Bible says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by the which he obtained witness, God testifying of his gifts, and he being dead yet speaks. I want you to know that that began with these words, by faith. And Hebrews ten seventeen says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What Abel did, he did because of communication from God, because that's what God asked him to do. Was he serious about that? Well, yeah. Yeah, it, it distinguished him from his brother Cain. Number five, we've got to believe this strongly enough to defend it. I mean, in our own personal lives. It isn't just that we have a passive approval of the faith. It's that, well, here's, here's what Jude 3 says. Contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith. A lot of attacks out there on it. Atheism, agnosticism, liberalism. But our voices are the voice that that Jesus uses in this whole world right now to defend the faith. Paul said, Philippians 1.17, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. Now, I should put in a caveat here that's this. I'm not set, we mustn't be set merely for the defense of our own opinions. And we've got to be careful to distinguish our opinions from what the faith actually says. That's very important. But what the Bible says is, I'm to defend the faith. Now, here's the last one. And we get back to where we started. I'm to stand fast in the faith. Stand fast in the faith. Resolute, unbending, uncompromising. And sometimes that's going to take courage. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, Paul said, At my first answer, nobody stood with me. All men forsook me. What are you doing, Paul? I'm standing in the faith. I'm standing for the faith. And, and it's not just about what I believe. It's going to be about how I, I act. I live in my own personal life. That's how faith is. That's how the faith is. 
And so here's Joseph with Potiphar's wife. And he doesn't, he doesn't have anybody to stand with him except the Lord. I mean, he doesn't have people. He's got, they've all abandoned him. And yet he stands for what's right. You think about Daniel in Babylon, chapter 1 and verse 8 of Daniel. And he, he, he refused to eat the king's food. I won't, defi- I won't defile myself with the king's food. And what it is is that when we accept what I've talked about today, about the faith, it's going to mean that sometimes I have to stand by myself, that I have to stand alone to do it. And I've got to be willing to do that. There are really five admonitions in this, this passage, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, and let all that you do be done with love. My challenge today is that we acknowledge what the Bible says about the faith, that we study our Bibles, that we be faithful to him, and that we defend the faith. What is that? It's the doctrine of Christ. It's the New Testament of Christ. It's the gospel of Christ. Is there somebody here this morning who hasn't obeyed the gospel? I hope you will. If you'd like to study about this, maybe you've been studying some about it, but you'd like to know more, may I just offer myself, I'll be happy to sit down with you and study privately. We'll we'll, uh, make a time that's convenient for you. We'll open the Bible and see what it says about how a person is saved. And you can be right with God, not not based on our preferences, our personal doctrines, but upon what the the faith is. And if you, you need to be restored today, why... Now would be a great time to do that, and we'll pray for you right now. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.